Welcome to episode 12 of Ryan's Reviews. On today's episode, I'm going to be discussing A Promised Land, the first half of uh, Barack Obama's memoirs. And I'm actually only going to be discussing the first half because I'm not quite done with it yet. Again, I mentioned uh, two weeks ago that it is 700 pages long. I only made it through about 400 so far. So I'll be talking about the first half today, reviewing the second half next week. Um, and then movie-wise, I will be reviewing Wonder Woman 1984, which was just released on HBO Max and in theaters, and also reviewing Soul, the new Pixar movie that released on Disney+, Plus. Um, before getting into the 1950s, quite possibly my favorite decade in film or close. Um, it, it does have my favorite movie of all time, um, did come out in the 1950s, so... Um, I will be talking about three movies in particular, including that one, and then talking about a few others um, that you might like as well. Here we go. So A Promised Land. Like I said in the intro, I'm only about halfway through. It is 700 pages long. I was hoping to have it done by today, but um, alas, only 400 pages in. So 300 to go. I will talk about the second half next week. Uh, this is the first book by Barack Obama that I've actually read. Um, he has written two other books. He's actually written more than two, but two that he's well known for. And that is Dreams from My Father from 1995 and The Audacity of Hope from 2006, two books that I did not read. Um, and maybe if I had read those books, I wouldn't be enjoying A Promised Land as much. Um, there probably is some uh, retread territory here. Um, he does talk a lot about his early life, talks about his family, um, before getting into how he got into politics in the first place, a little bit about his relationship with his wife. Um, but yeah, the focus here is supposed to be a presidential memoir. So he's mostly talking about the lead up to the 2008 election and then for what happens from there. I don't know exactly where the book ends, but again, this is just part one. Part two will be coming out at some point. Um, so I'm assuming this again, right now where I'm at, which is about 350, 400 pages into the book. Um, he's still in 2008, 2009. So I'm expecting it to go through his first term. I didn't look up ahead of time. I think maybe that's what he's going for with these books. Maybe this one is just talking about his first term, but I will find out and let you know next week. Um, but so far, this is very interesting to me. I'm somebody who's not super into politics, somebody that doesn't pay attention um, and didn't, definitely wasn't paying attention in 2008 um, when he was elected president of the United States over John McCain. And that part of the memoir is probably the most interesting to me. Um, just securing the Democratic nomination was a lot more of a headache than I remembered it being. Um, and then just his, his uh, candidacy and him going against John McCain and Sarah Palin um, was pretty interesting as well. And then just remembering um, how George W. Bush, how the economy was just at an all-time low and how Barack Obama came into office and had to try and fix all of those problems um, right away at the beginning of his presidency. Um, anyway, uh, if you, I, I think you guys should read this one. Um, so I'm not going to go too much into it just in case you don't, didn't know a lot about it like I did. Um, so um, I will be reviewing the second half next week, but so far, A Promised Land is definitely a book that I would recommend. If you want to know more about Barack Obama, if you want to know more about uh, what the landscape of the United States was like um, in 2008 onward and how we kind of got to where we are today, 
Um, I don't know if that will be covered in this one, but I think leading into uh, the next book, I think he'll get more into that as well. So, and I couldn't help but <laughs> think as I was reading this, just how well written it is, how well spoken Barack Obama is. And then thinking if the current president were to try and write a memoir on his own, what that would be like, um, I couldn't help but imagine that. And we, speaking of which, we are very close to inauguration day. So thank goodness for that. <laughs> so um, A Promised Land, uh, definitely worth your time, definitely worth the read. Again, it is quite lengthy. I would recommend taking your time with it, but I will be talking about the second half of it next week. Okay, Wonder Woman 1984, which just released on HBO Max and in theaters. I just watched it on HBO Max the day after Christmas. And I have to say it was kind of a letdown. Um, I talked about Aquaman and my disdain for that uh, on an earlier podcast. But the DC Universe is uh, right now a complete mess. The original Wonder Woman movie, which came out a few years back, is actually my favorite movie of the DC movies, of the modern DC movies. And it's kind of sad, but after seeing Wonder Woman 1984, which I didn't like very much, it's probably the second best one in that series. Um, maybe Man of Steel is a little better than it, but I don't know what they were going for tonally in this movie. I think the writing is just absolutely horrific in this movie. <laughs> um, Patty Jenkins does a fine job directing it. I think she's still a quality director. I just think it was the writing was the main issue here. They went for, again, it's Wonder Woman 1984, so it's focused in the 80s. So they were going for, it almost felt, I don't know, it was, it was campy at times, but then it was, I don't know, the humor and then the seriousness of some of the events going on just didn't mesh well. Um, Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, um, Kristen Wiig, Pedro Pascal, they do fine and they do a good job with, I think, what they're given, but what they're given is just absolute trash. <laughs> For lack of a better word, it's just, yeah, the storyline here is just so over the top and so silly and there's so much going on. Uh, yeah, it's it's not hard to follow. It's not hard to follow in that. It's just they try to do too much. Um, and the movie is about two and a half hours long, but they just they try and throw too many things at you at once. It can be kind of overwhelming. If you've seen the trailers, you'll actually think that the movie is going to be one thing. And then when you watch the movie, it's actually some, com, something completely different, um, which is fine. And I actually sometimes like that element of surprise. You think somebody's going to be the main villain and they end up not being. Um, but man, it just does not work here. This movie completely fell flat. I will say it was entertaining still, even though it's not a very good movie. I had fun watching it and kind of making fun of it as I watched it. It kind of, the main plot focuses on this dream stone, which is basically like a fancy monkey's paw that gives you these uh, the ability to make a wish. But whenever you make a wish, uh, something bad happens. Something bad goes along with that wish. Um, and a lot of the characters, a lot of the main characters end up using this. And yeah, anyway, things get chaotic. Um, I, think, I think if you are a big fan of Wonder Woman, especially the first movie or the DC movies, I think you'll have fun with this movie. It's just it's just not very good. Pedro Pascal is the be best part of the movie as Maxwell Lord. Um, and he completely plays it over the top. Uh, yeah, he's just hamming it up every time he's on screen. But it's, it's definitely the best part of the movie. 
Um, everything else, Kristen Wiig's character, again, she does a fine job with what she's given. It's just unfortunate that they kind of, for a movie that's two and a half hours long, they kind of rush through her story. And then by the end, you don't really end up caring about her too much. At least I didn't. And I didn't really buy some of her character progression and how she changed throughout the movie. And yeah, Gal Gadot and Chris Pine, like I said, they do a good job. They're just not given much, um, much to do. And yeah, bringing back Chris Pine after the first movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of weird how they did it in this one. Um, the whole movie is just bizarre. And it's very, uh, I don't know, people are <laughs> very split on this movie online. Because um, I did a lot of reading after I watched it. Because I was like, what are other people thinking about this? It's just, yeah, it's over the top. It's bizarre. Um, but it's fun. It is not a good movie, not a good movie, but you can have fun watching this. I would recommend watching it with a group of people. I think you can kind of pick it apart and have more fun with it that way. Um, yeah, like I said, kind of sad that it is the second best movie in the DCU right now. Um, but fingers crossed, um, that not only the Justice League Snyder Cut, which is coming out, I think in March, um, and then especially, hopefully, Batman can kind of get the DCU on track. Um, I would say back on track, but I don't think they've ever been on track. Um, pretty much all of their movies I've disliked. I think Man of Steel and the two Wonder Woman movies are the only uh, movies that I think are watchable. Um, so, yeah, again, check out Wonder Woman 1984 if you want a good time. But, yeah, do not take it seriously. The next movie that I'm going to talk about very briefly is Pixar's Soul, um, which is their new movie. It was released on Christmas Day on Disney+. Plus. It stars Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey. Uh, Jamie Foxx's character is Joe Gardner, and he plays this middle school music teacher who's working there part-time. The principal ends up offering them, him this full-time uh, job there, and he is hesitant to take it because his big dream is becoming a jazz musician he doesn't want to be a teacher. Um, he wants to go after his dream. And he finally catches that big break. Um, a famous musician in the city offers him a job um, in her quartet, at least for one night, kind of a tryout of sorts. Um, but then something happens and his soul gets separated from his body. It's a really, really neat concept that Pixar was able to come up with in in this one and it was definitely one of their more creative efforts of the last couple of years i think this is a spiritual successor in a way to inside out um which is uh, a movie that is all about the emotional state in this young girl all the emotions that are going on in her head after a big move with her parents and she's in this new area and i think that is pixar's most creative movie and possibly in my opinion probably their best movie um soul while not Pixar's best movie, is definitely upper tier Pixar and their best movie to come out in a few years at least. Toy Story 4 and Incredibles 2 were pretty awful, in my opinion. Soul is getting Pixar back on track. It's a creative story. Um, it has a good main character, a good protagonist. You're rooting for him. It's got um, really, really good music. The animation, as usual, is just top-notch, as it always are is with Pixar. And the movie at an hour and a half long, uh, the pacing of it is very, very good. Um, I don't really have a lot of negatives for this one. I just don't think, I, I think this really isn't a criticism either, but Pixar is kind of, it's always been for kids and adults. 
This movie is kind of weird in the fact that it is really, in my opinion, only intended for adults. Um, It's about a middle-aged man trying to find his way in the world, and there's not really much content here for kids. And I don't think that's a really, yeah, it's not really so much of a criticism because it doesn't affect how the quality of the film. Um, but I think it's something that if families are going to watch this one, um, I think there are other Pixar movies that do a better job of reaching both kids and adults. This is not one of them. This is a movie that I think is intended um, primarily for adults. There is a little bit of kid humor here and there. Um, but for the most part, yeah, this is going to be focused. Um, this movie is focused on kind of the adult audience. Um, but like I said, Soul, I think it's a quality film. Um, if you like Pixar's earlier works, you'll definitely like this one. If you're not a big Pixar fan, um, then yeah, this would not be one for you. It's kind of, it's, it's more of the same, but done again, it's a done in such a creative way and the storytelling, they do such a good job with the storytelling in this one. I definitely think it's worth checking out. And we will end today's podcast talking about the 1950s. Um, Like I said, I was looking at the list of movies that came out in the 1950s, and this is arguably my favorite decade of film, or very, very close. It does have my favorite movie did come out in the late 1950s, so I'll talk a little bit about that in just a minute. The first movie that I do want to mention, though, is an early Stanley Kubrick film. Um, If you haven't seen the works of Stanley Kubrick, uh, get on it. Get on it, especially if you're a fan of film. Um, 2001 A Space Odyssey, The Shining. Um, those are two probably two most well-known movies. Um, but I think a movie that's often forgotten in his works and is my favorite movie of his, actually, is Paths of Glory. Um, it stars Kirk Douglas. And it's a story about soldiers in World War One, And it is a morality tale. Um, and what certain people do when they have power and kind of has a a few similarities um, in when I was mentioning Treasure of the Sierra Madre a few weeks ago in just the character interactions and just how they go back and forth and just how, like, I don't know, how power kind of sways people and how they do things uh, differently than they normally would um, when put in certain positions. Um, It's it's a very bleak movie. very, very depressing, um, but I think it is one of the best, if not the best, war film ever made. Um, and it's weird because there's not really much combat in the movie. There's not really, it's not really, it's focused on kind of, um, it's focused on these three soldiers and they're falsely accused of something. And I, I, yeah, I don't want to say too much about it. I think it's just a movie that everybody should see. Um, Again, one of my favorite movies of the 1950s. The next movie that I want to talk about is 1958's Vertigo, um, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. And I think it's not only Alfred Hitchcock's best movie, um, but one of the best movies of all time. It happens to be my favorite movie of all time. It was the film that introduced the Dolly Zoom. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock does some very inter- uses some very interesting film techniques to kind of make you feel like the main character in the story. Jimmy Stewart stars in this one, and Jimmy Stewart is not an actor I'm particularly fond of, so it's kind of funny that he's in my favorite movie of all time. Um, But he plays this ex-police officer who suffers from this intense fear of heights. He has these bouts of vertigo, 
And he gets involved in this situation because he, again, he is an ex-police officer. He's retired from the force. And one of his friends contacts him because this friend wants Jimmy Stewart's character to start following uh, his wife. He's worried that his wife is going to commit suicide. So Jimmy Stewart uh, decides to take the job and he starts following this woman. And from there, again, there's lots of, there's a big mystery component to this story um, that I don't want to say anymore. Um, I think this is, if you haven't seen Vertigo, um, it's one of my favorite, again, it's my favorite movie of all time, but it has one of the best stories. Um, it's just entertaining throughout. The screenwriters deserve a lot of credit here um, in being able to tell a story that is so complex um, in in such a compelling way. Um, it's it's a pretty haunting movie. It can be disturbing at times. It's very, very creepy. Um, similar to a lot of Hitchcock's work from the 1950s in particular, it does have that creepy element to it. Um, Bernard Herrmann's score is my favorite score of all time in a movie. Um, it just works so, so well here. Um, if you haven't, for some reason, seen Vertigo, if you're an Alfred Hitchcock fan, um, if you've seen any of his movies and you want to check out what is largely considered his best or one of his best movies, um, Vertigo is definitely worth seeing. And the last movie, or should I say trilogy of movies that I'm going to talk about is, and I'm going to butcher this name, but uh, Satyajit Ray's uh, trilogy, and it starts with Panther Panchali. Um, and it is basically, it is a story that takes place in three different time periods. So, and I'm kind of a sucker for that. It kind of feels like Richard Linklater. And I think Richard Linklater was inspired by this trilogy of films, especially with his movie Boyhood. Um, but it follows this young Indian boy living in a uh, village in India. And it just goes through the events of his life. Again, it's a trilogy, but it does a really good job of capturing the day to day. Um, especially in an area that a lot of us are not super familiar with. Um, it's very well acted. I'm not super well-versed in Indian cinema as well. Um, but this is, again, this was in one of my Robert, Roger Ebert books a couple years back, and I completely fell in love with this trilogy. I think it's fantastic. There's not a lot that happens per se, but its focus is on everyday life um, and just how this character progresses from one film to the next and just through the course of one film um, is really entertaining. And it, just like life, it has its definitely its high moments um, where things are going good for the main character and a lot of low moments as well. Um, so if you haven't seen, um, and this is kind of, I picked this one. There were other movies that maybe I liked more in the 1950s, but I was trying to pick something that I know a lot of people haven't seen that I think is worth checking out. So again, the trilogy starts with Panther Panchali, and then there's two others that come after it. So I suggest checking that trilogy out if you have not seen it. Before we wrap up today's podcast, I would just like to briefly mention a few other movies that I think are worth watching from the 1950s. Forbidden Planet, which is an early science fiction movie. Um, Some Like It Hot, um, a comedy that still holds up to this day. Sunset Boulevard and All About Eve, um, which are two movies that have very, very strong female performances. Um, one by Gloria Swanson and Sunset Boulevard, and then um, All About Eve with Betty Davis. 
Um, and then the last movie that I wanted to mention was Kurosawa, who's known for um, his samurai movies. Um, this is a movie that actually focuses on a older man who is dying from cancer and how he's spending his remaining days. And that is Akiru, um, which I think if I was making a list of top five movies ever made, um, I think it might be on that list. So that one is definitely worth checking out as well. So I think that will do it for today's episode of Ryan's Reviews. We'll be back next Saturday talking about the uh, last 300 or so pages of A Promised Land. I will be reviewing uh, Badlands as well as maybe another Terrence Malick film. Um, I'm finishing Badlands today. I might rewatch Days of Heaven. Um, and then I definitely want to check out A New World. All of those are available on the Criterion channel. Um, but yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in, and I will talk to you guys next Saturday.